0: Where to live one day at a time we don't have yesterday's gone I'm about to trip over this puppet stage and, and y'all gonna laugh at this preacher shame on you <laughs> yeah I even proofed the bulletin and I wasn't in it <laughs> so I can't blame my secretaries, dad gummit <laughs> you know my wife uh She's, a, she's convenient because I usually always blame her. But I uh, can't even blame her. But, uh, you know, uh, that's what Adam did. Remember he blamed Eve? And Eve blamed the devil. We're always looking for somebody to blame, aren't we? It's time we start blaming ourselves. Pointing the finger right here, isn't it? You know, about the worst thing you could call somebody in the church today is to say they're a Pharisee. Pharisees were the bad guys in the Bible. They seem to be always the main group that Jesus targeted to rebuke. And uh, they served as examples of what not to be. I don't want to be a Pharisee. How many of you want to be a Pharisee? But apparently we could, it's easy to become like them if we're not careful. Someone put together a list of danger signs to know whether or not you become a modern-day Pharisee. You might be a Pharisee if your official title is longer than your given name. Or you ask someone to move because they're in your pew. You might be a Pharisee if you're willing to be merciful, but only once. You might be a Pharisee if you have two dogs named Faithful and True, but they're both killer pit bulls. That's how some of us are, aren't we? We're so staunch in what we believe, but our staunchness comes across as a fighting pit bull. We're mean-spirited with our truth. You might be a Pharisee if everyone outside your immediate circle and most within it are wrong. You might be a Pharisee if God's still small voice sounds exactly like yours. You might be a Pharisee if you know the word of God you don't know the God of the Word. I believe the Pharisees of Jesus' day started out wanting to please God. Israel's immorality and unrighteousness was at an all-time low. They had just come through a 400-year period of silence from God. There was a spiritual vacuum. As many Jews had abandoned the laws of God, and the religious leaders felt the urge to step up and fill that spiritual void. Pharisees became like the prophets to the people, pointing people back to the law of Moses and back to obedience to God's will. I can't help but believe that their desire was to obey God and His commands and to help people obey them. And even in case God wasn't, they thought God wasn't clear enough to express what He desired, they wrote traditions to follow that were designed to help other people obey God's laws better. The Pharisees were the equivalent of the modern day churchgoer, like you and me, who seriously want to please Jesus. These Pharisees were the religious people of the day, and they took their faith seriously. I believe most of you here today are like that. You take your faith seriously. But there's a danger. We have in our true desire to obey God, our zeal can cause us to overstep the line from pleasing God to becoming like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. So we have to be careful. In an article I read from one author, he said, I want to stress here that Pharisees didn't set out to try to make God angry. They didn't wake up every morning thinking, I'm going to see what I can do to tick Jesus off today. But they did make him angry. What had had they gotten so wrong that made Jesus so angry with them? He gives three suggestions. Rules became more important than people. Their agenda, they thought was God's agenda. And they believed their personal sins would be covered up if they kept the rules. And that's where we pick up with our outline. You can find it on the back of your worship bulletin. We've been going through the book of Romans. We're still in chapter 2. Paul started in chapter 1. We picked up in verse 18 talking about the godless pagans. God's judgment is going to come upon the godless pagans. Then we talked about in chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter, that God's judgment is going to come against those who supposedly approve God's truth but don't practice it. They say they agree with it, but they don't live by it, and then now we're dealing with this group of people who say they practice it, who actually do practice God's truth or God's law, but their heart is far from Him. So these three groups of people will not escape God's judgment. Some are completely irreligious, ungodly, godless, but some approve God's truth but don't live it, and some say they live it or living it out by keeping the rules but their hearts far from god and i think that pretty much sums up the entire population except for those who are whose hearts are right before god through jesus christ the pharisees jesus said they were the blind leading the blind what does that mean it means they were religious but they were spiritually blind, trying to lead others who were spiritually blind. And Jesus said they both what what happened to both of them? They both fell in the ditch. In other words, they led people away from God while thinking they were leading them to God. Could that be true in churches today? Could that be true in, in this church? Could that be true in your own life? The Pharisees highlighted things God lowlighted. They strained at gnats, but they swallowed camels. That was the illustration Jesus gave. The little things hung them up. And they neglected the weightier matters of the law. They thought that they would be judged by their, if you pick up on your outline, their religious affiliation. Verse 17 of Romans 2 says, Paul says, you're called a Jew. They thought their religious affiliation, the fact that they were Jews, would be approved them to God. Paul dealt with that. We dealt with that already. They thought their reliance on the law. Paul says you rest on the law. They thought, hey, we agree with God's word. We stand on it. We fight for it. We hold it up. We argue for it. Just like we do today. And that third thing that we're going to talk about today is radical obedience. Radical obedience to the law. The Pharisees depended on trying to obey the letter of the law. They thought that a radical obedience to the law made them right before God. What do I mean by radical obedience? Well, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus encounters a man that we know by the name of the rich young ruler. That's not his name, but that's kind of how we have identified him over the years. Matthew 19, 16 says, Behold, one came to him, said, Good teacher... What good thing shall I do that I'm have eternal life? And see, that's where many be people are. What good thing shall I do? That puts salvation in our hands. Salvation's not in our hands. It's in the hands of God. He said, what good thing shall I do? And Jesus said, and he's, here I believe he's testing the man. He's drawing out his, his religious understanding to get to the heart of the matter. He says, well, why do you call me good? No one's good. But one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? And Jesus named a few. He says, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty tall list. But the man said, all these things I have kept from my youth. Really? You think he was being honest there? I don't think he was being very honest. I think he's a self-righteous Pharisee. I don't think he's being honest with himself. But even if he was, Jesus said then, he, he, the, the man said, but I, what do I still lack? He still knew he didn't have what he needed. Because he said, I'd kept all these things, but I'm coming and asking for eternal life. What do I still lack? So another, even if you could keep the whole law, you still lack what's most important. Jesus said this, go and sell all that you have, and come follow me now we're going to deal with that in another perspective in just a moment but the point of the matter was here give up what you have been trusting in and trust in me follow me well the scripture says that he went away sorrowful for he had great riches but the point i want to make here is that this man said i kept all these things since i was a kid but he still lacked see There was the mindset in that day that radical obedience to the law was how you got right with God. I think that's the mindset in many churches today, among many so-called Christians today. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians 13. You remember what he said? The opening three verses of that chapter, Paul said, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels. Let's exalt tongues. That's a great work. It's a gift to have. For somebody would say, I'm so spiritual that I speak in tongues, but you treat your brother like a dog. He said, If you don't have love, what does he say? You become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. It's meaningless, it's a work. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. So here's this spiritual person who says they, they can understand when they read the Bible, they can put the pieces together, and they have a great gift of being able to explain it and teach it, and, and they have all this great knowledge, and their faith is so strong that they can speak, and things happen that cannot be explained. But he says, if you don't have love, it's nothing. So there's a great work there. And then Paul says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, see, we do a lot of that, don't we? This time of the year, we give, we give don't we? We give. That's a good work, to feed the poor. Even if I give my body to be burned, all these are good works. Paul was addressing to see the mentality in that day was good works, good works, good works, religious things. Give you some modern day examples. You know, um, in our, there's still, this is still going on, this prosperity theology that if you are right with God and God's going to bless you, um, how many of you know that God blesses you when you don't deserve it? Would you raise your hand? You had, we just had Thanksgiving. To me, that's what Thanksgiving is all about. God giving me things I don't deserve, and I'm grateful for it. That prosperity theology is that God's going to make you wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. He's going to give you 12 jets and, and 14 mansions and 5 beach houses and 4 mountain homes and all this stuff. If you'll just obey God, that's prosperity theology. But what's happened is the pendulum is swung from prosperity theology over here to poverty theology. And they use that passage we just looked at in Matthew 19. Jesus told that rich young ruler, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. So some have picked up on that and say, okay, well, the way to please God is to sell all that you have and get rid of everything that you have, and then you are pleasing to him. That's radical, isn't it? It's radical obedience. Is that what pleases God? No. Just like prosperity theology, poverty theology—that doesn't mean a, 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 a doesn't add up to a hill of beans in the sight of God. Now, if God leads you or God blesses you, pros, prospers you, wonderful. If God doesn't prosper you materially, that ought to be wonderful too. But neither approves to God. People taking vows of poverty. Vows of silence, maybe that would be a good vow for some of us. The Bible does say be slow to speak. Vows of fasting, Bible teaches about fasting. Those, but those are works. Those don't approve us to God. We're not going to be judged on those things as far as our rightness with God. Any vow for that matter doesn't make us right or wrong before God you know I was working with a man in Eunice one time we were building our new church over there and and uh, he came and helped us with the sewage system and by the way that church um, was built the only labor we paid for was the brick laden and the concrete finishing everything else was volunteer labor and uh, this man had come to volunteers time and he had his little bobcat there and he was digging the the trenches for the sewer and all of that and and it was middle of the morning, and I said, hey, uh, Brother Steve, you, wanna, you want a cup of coffee? <laughs> he goes, no, I don't do drugs. Honestly, that's what he said. And he wasn't joking. Now, some of you may feel that way. Well, I do drugs then. I, did, I snorted two cups this morning <laughs> <laughs> of coffee, in case anybody will be listening to this later. Coffee. But to him, he 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 really did, and we had a little conversation about that. I really got the impression from him that he felt more spiritual because he didn't drink coffee, and I felt less spiritual because I did. Some women say, "Well, I don't wear pants. Does that make you more spiritual?" Some people say, "Uh, "I don't eat meat. Does that make you more spiritual?" Some people say, "I don't have tattoos." Does that make you more spiritual? Some people say, I never break the speed limit. Liar. But does that make you more spiritual? (laughs) I'm going to break out my Bible app here. I'm going to read something in the New Living Translation from Hebrews 13, 8 to 9. This one's not on the screen. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. Bible. It's very similar in the New King James. It just puts it in more modern language for us. You see... The Pharisees had this knack for adding to what God said. Matthew 23, I'm going to ask you to hold your fingers there, and we're going to look at several verses, the rest of this message. But Matthew 23, 4, and 5, Jesus said, The Pharisees bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. He says, but all their words they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. So here there, Jesus said they bind these things on people. They, they lay these heavy burdens. They add all of this stuff to what God said. Anytime we start adding to, we're, and that's the problem with, I think, probably conservative evangelical Christians. It's not taking away from them. We dare not do that. Our problem, I think, is adding to. And Jesus said, both is wrong in Revelation. We don't add to, we don't take away, we don't mess with what's here. We don't go beyond what is written. Romans chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. He says, You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Think about it. Do you steal? Stop and think about what stealing is. Are you stealing time from your employer? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Remember what Jesus said adultery was? Looking at a person to lust after them in your heart? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? Paul is pointing out to these Pharisees that they're not as spiritual as they think they are. And by the way, none of these things that I've mentioned this morning approve you or me to God. Look at Colossians chapter 2. This one will be on the screen, verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, False humility and neglect of the body. But they're they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All these little things that we add to. This poverty theology, these vows, this I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't wear this, I don't wear that. Sounds good, looks good, makes us look good. but It doesn't help with the lustful desires, the sinful indulgences of the flesh. There's only one thing that helps with that. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the only thing that can help with that sin in our hearts. Romans chapter 10, Paul said about these Pharisees, and by the way, not just Pharisees, but he was speaking to the Jews in general. Because the Pharisees had led them astray. He said in Romans ten three, They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have sought to establish their own righteousness, but have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? He answers that in verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, Jesus Christ is the righteousness of God. And that's why Jesus said, and I might repeat it again today in Matthew five twenty. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Now how could my, my righteousness, when theirs seemed to be so perfect, how could mine be better than perfect? Their righteousness was self-righteousness. It was a righteousness by the law. The righteousness that is God's righteousness is in Jesus Christ and faith in Him. God wants us obey him but he doesn't operate on the brownie point system and some of you know what I mean you you have a brownie point system whether you realize it or not you kids do if your friends do what you want them to do you give them a mental brownie point if they don't do what you want them to do you check it off Mm -mm. that's one over here in the the bad column spouses do this to each other Some of you do it really out loud. Some of you do it mentally and emotionally. If your husband or your wife does something you like, brownie point, you're going to give. If they do something you don't like, scratch that brownie point off, you're going to withhold. God doesn't operate like that. Churches operate like that. There are people in here that won't... Probably some of you here, I hope that's not true of you. I think we have a sweet fellowship, but what if there was somebody in here sitting over here said, I don't like somebody over there, and the reason y'all sit over there is because they're sitting over here. And it's because y'all live on the brownie point system. God's not on the brownie point system. Why do you read the Bible? Because I want to get a brownie point with Jesus. Why do you pray? I want brownie points with God. Why did you come to church this morning? I want my brownie point with God. Came to church Sunday mornings, the thing to do. Brownie point. Why do you give and tithe? Brownie points? Why do you serve and help others? When we have Go 360, why do you show up? Maybe you want brownie points with me. I want the pastor to see that I was there. I don't operate on the brownie point system either. At least I try not to. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you attend church? Why do you give? Why do you help and serve others? Is it to feel good about yourself? Then you're a Pharisee. Is it to have other people think good of you? Then you're a Pharisee. Is it to make God feel good about you? Then you're a Pharisee. Is it to make you feel loved by God? Then you're a Pharisee. You see, all those motives have you as the center. God wants us to obey Him. But what's our motive for obedience? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. What's what's Jesus' motive for obedience? Love. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Everything we do must come from love, not out of rule following. We need to teach our children that. You see, children don't, you tell a, you, you God, we, we saw this in the Garden of Eden. You tell a kid he can't have it, what does he want? It. You tell a couple they can't have it, that fruit can't have it, what did they want? That fruit. We're rule breakers. We're not rule followers. We need to raise up our kids to love the Lord our God. And teach them that he's not a God to be afraid of when we break the rules. He's a God to run to when we break the rules because he loves us. And if we teach them that God's mad at them, and yet God is angry with sin, but if we teach them that God rejects and, and is mad at them and doesn't love them, and when they break the rules, they're going to run from God instead of run to God. And We're seeing that in our culture, in many Christian homes. They've messed up and they, they're running from God. But I digress. I want to move on. We're talking about what God's not going to be judging us by. He's not going to be judging us by our religious affiliation, our our reliance on the law, our um, righteous behavior, our radical obedience, and that, lastly, today is our, is our righteous display. Verse 17 of Romans 2, you said, we pick up all these things right here in this one verse. You're called a Jew, you rest on the law, he says you make your boast in God. The devil used the Pharisees' zeal for righteousness to lead them and many other well-intentioned Jews down a dark, self-righteous path that was an abomination to the very one they thought they were pleasing. Let me say that again. The Pharisees had a zeal to please God. The devil twisted that zeal, which led them down a dark, self-righteous path that became they became an abomination to the very one they thought they were trying to please. Their motives started out right, but somewhere along the line they got twisted up, and that's what I see happening in churches today. pharisees They boast. The word boast here in verse 17 means a vain display. If there ever is a day for a vain display, it's Sunday morning. A vain display. We put on our righteous airs. That's why I appreciate what Brian did this morning. Just loosen up. You know, just loosen up. We don't have to put on any airs here. We know who we are. Don't you? Who are you, by the way? Some said I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, you're you are. But what are you? You're a child of God. Were you always? No. But thank God. We're going to get to that chapter six and later on, a couple of years. <laughs> thank God that you you were that. You were that. Thank God that you were that, but you are not that anymore. You are you are a child of God. But we have this vain display. We see this in Luke chapter 18, where we have the story of the publican, that is, the tax collector, and the Pharisee. Both of, both of them are in the right place. They're in the temple. They're worshiping God. And here's the, the, the poor tax collector. He's, he's down there. He's beating his breast and, and he's, he's crying out to God. He's in, he's in uh, a- spiritual agony because he knows he is, he's rebelled against God. And he's crying out to God. He won't so much as even lift his face to heaven. Because he's so ashamed, he says, Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But then here's the Pharisee putting on a vain display. And it says he stands thus with himself. Because God ain't with him. He's got to stand with somebody. He's all by himself. And he says, I thank God. I can just see him tugging at his robe. That I'm not like that publican. I fast twice a week. I pray, I go to church, I sing the songs, I look so good doing it all. Jesus said, of those two men, the publican went home right with God. Perhaps the Pharisees started off just wanting to set a good example for the people. Even Paul, who, by the way, at one time was a Pharisee of the strictest sense, he said so. Even Paul said, imitate me. But then he added, as I imitate Christ. So maybe the Pharisees started out with good intentions. We want to lead the people to Christ, and we want to set a good example. We want to make sure that we are following God's ways. And it started off maybe good, maybe right motives. But soon their desire to set a good example became a self-righteous display with little or no heart of love and devotion to God himself. They loved keeping the law, but they didn't love the lawgiver. And they definitely didn't love other people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, all those things he said they did, they tithed, they gave, they prayed, they fasted, all to be seen of men. Matthew 23, he said the same thing in his rebuke to them. They make their, their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. These phylacteries were things that they, they wore on their wrists that were scriptures that they had memorized. And they had them on their foreheads too, and, and they made them big. They wanted people to see how much of God's law, the Torah, they had memorized. And so, I mean, can you just imagine this block of wood? You walk around with this on your forehead. They wanted to make it big. They wanted people to see how spiritual they were. You want to see you want people to see how spiritual you are? It's a Pharisee. I think we all struggle with that. He said in verse 27 and 28 of Matthew 23, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, for you're like whitewashed tombs. indeed you appear beautifully, outwardly. but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear, righteous to men but jesus said i see what's on the inside hypocrisy and lawlessness you look like you got it together but i know you don't see jesus is looking on the hearts of his people this morning he's seeing our hearts he's seeing he sees the outside yes but he sees the inside and then nobody else here can see the inside but him god's looking at our heart you see not everyone who does good things is good Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 7. He said, some of people are going to stand before me and I'm going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. And they're going to say, Lord, but didn't we preach? Cast out demons? Do many wonderful works in your name? Besides this, Isaiah 64, 6 says this. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, I can understand my unrighteousness being filthy rags, but God says, My righteousness. That is the best I can do compared to a holy God is filthy rags. Think about that wash rag on your kitchen sink. Yeah, it's been through the washing machine. Maybe think about that kitchen sponge. You know you ain't washed it in three weeks, but you're going to go home today and you're going to use it again. They say there's more bacteria and a kitchen sponge than your toilet seat. But you're going to go home and wash your dishes with it. Not, t- not now you won't, but you would have. <laughs> See, our righteousness compared to God's righteousness is filthy rags. The best we can do is unacceptable. That's why our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And the only way we can get the right kind of righteousness is trust, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Follow him. And as we close, I want you to look back at Matthew chapter 23. Very interesting. I want us to consider seven names Jesus called the Pharisees. Because there are some Pharisees in this congregation, and I confessed this morning on the way to church, Lord, I know that I've been guilty of this too. And these woes are pronounced... Upon people who are religious and think they're good people but they're just following they're just going through the motions, there's no heart they're just rule followers they think they're right with God because they showed up to church every Sunday, gave their tithe read their Bible, pray there's more to it than that you say, well what is it? Well if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ you're missing the boat all the way around Jesus said, listen, seven names he calls them. And I, I could point out every verse that they appear in, but I, for, this, for the um, sake of time, I won't. By the way, Jesus the, is the only qualified person to call people names. Now, I'm guilty of calling people names. I don't call y'all names. <laughs> but, you know, I, he's the only one worthy, uh, qualified to call people names because he's the only one who knows people's hearts. But look at verse 13. Verse 13 through 15, verse 23, 25, 27, 29, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. What? Hypocrites. So, first word he calls them is hypocrites. Verse 15, what does he call them? Verse 15, sons of hell. Sound like a motorcycle gang. Boom, <laughs> <coughs> sons of hell. Isn't there a motorcycle gang sound like something like that? Hell's. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. Pharisees made up the first motorcycle gang, the sons of hell. Verse 17 and 19, he calls them fools and blind. Fools and blind. Verse 16 and 24, he calls them blind guides. Verse 26, he calls them blind Pharisees. Verse 33, he calls them serpents. Verse um, uh, verse 33, he calls them a brood of vipers. Remember, these were religious people who thought they were right with God. And Jesus is calling them hypocrites, sons of hell, fools, blind, serpents, snakes. These were people that thought they were right with God. Scary. It ought to make us stop and think. And Jesus pronounced eight woes. That's W-O-E. Not W-H-O-A. Like you would say to a mule. Although I believe the Lord would have us to stop trusting our own righteousness, he would say to us, woe from trusting our own righteousness. But here he's saying, woe, that is a pronouncement of judgment. An ex- and a woe was an exclamation of grief that was coming their way. In each of those names, he says, woe to you, woe to you. In other words, judgment's coming upon you. Judgment's coming upon you. You remember we're talking about in the context of Romans 1 and 2 that the gospel reveals God's righteous judgment on those who are godless, on those who approve God's truth but don't do it, and those who do God's truth but don't have it in their hearts. Woe to you, God's judgment's coming on the religious and on the irreligious. Jesus uses this term also in Revelation in chapter eight, verse 13. These are the judgments and revelation. I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Same in chapter 9, verse 12. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming. Chapter 11, verse 14. The second woe is past, behold, the third one is coming. And then chapter 12 and verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the, and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. What we know about Revelation is it's a during that time of tribulation going to be a great time of God's judgment poured out on the earth. But Jesus uses that same word to the Pharisees, to the religious people. Woe, judgments coming if you don't repent of your religion and start trusting in me and following me you see Paul wants us to understand that God's judgment can be escaped through Jesus Christ Jesus asked a question in Matthew 30 23 we're looking at that he was saying to the Pharisees here's how he put a question to them. After he called them serpents and brood of vipers, he said, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Listen, there may be some of you here who have been church members all your life, but you're headed for hell. There are some of you here who are deacons. Pastors can be lost just as well. Deacons' wives, Sunday school teachers, faithful churchgoers, Bible readers, prayer people, committee members, listen, you're not right with God because of those things. That's not what makes you right with Him. You will not escape the judgment of hell unless you come to Jesus. The only way. The only way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody, Jew or Gentile, religious or irreligious, no culture, no anybody comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. Have you come to Jesus? Have you truly given your heart to Him? Have you laid it all down? You see, I know many of you have, but some of you may not have. Would you today? And some of you who have, listen, folks, we're the religious. We tend to put on some religious airs. And we tend to put expectations on people like the Pharisees did that don't belong there. And it's not our place to put those expectations on them. If it's your conviction, you live by it. And you have faith with that conviction about days you celebrate or foods you eat or don't eat or how you dress and all that, how you wear your hair or don't have hair, whatever it is. You deal with God about that. You don't impose that on other people. The only thing we invite people to is Jesus. Not a set of rules. Invite them to Jesus. And you let Jesus change their hearts. You let Jesus do the work. Amen? Let's pray.